on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. One of the characters connected to Jesus' birth is the man known as King Herod. The history of this Herod begins with his grandfather and his father. We're given these details from secular history. You see, the father of King Herod was also a ruler, a type of king. In fact, he assisted Julius Caesar in his military campaigns in Egypt. And as a reward for his help, Caesar appointed the father as ruler over the district of Judea. That's the southern part of ancient Israel. And that father, in turn, appointed his 25-year-old son, the later King Herod, to be military commander of Galilee up in the north. But as we noted last time, it was in the year 44 BC that Julius Caesar was assassinated. So both rulers, the father and the son, lost their protector. In the civil war that followed, the father of Herod ended up backing the wrong man. He backed Mark Antony. But Octavian finally was the winner. Now in history, we know Octavian as Caesar Augustus. He became the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. Before that happened, however, the Roman Senate had promoted Herod, promoting him from being a local ruler to becoming king over most of the territory of ancient Israel and ancient Syria. The Senate even gave him the title, King of the Jews. Imagine that. King Herod, King of the Jews. So how did Herod govern as king? Well, according to the historians of that day, soon after he became king, he killed 45 Jewish men. Most of those men had belonged to the Sadducee party, and they were mostly members of the powerful Jewish Sanhedrin. What was their crime? Why did Herod feel he had to kill them? Well, they were friends of someone that Herod imagined to be his political arrival. Herod just imagined that. You see, right from the start, King Herod showed a very violent streak. He ruthlessly would eliminate all competition to his power. Later, Herod even murdered his most beloved wife, Mariamna. Why? Because he imagined that she was plotting against him. And for good measure, Herod also murdered his wife's mother and uncle and grandfather. Wow, what a guy. Caesar Augustus, formerly Octavian, had confirmed Herod as king. Caesar also expanded Herod's power and control over the years. But with that power, Herod became even more distrustful, more suspicious. He even started suspecting his own sons that they might be plotting against him. So Herod had two of his sons executed. All of this gives us a sense of what a vicious man King Herod was. A man literally paranoid, filled with fear, fear of losing his own power. So it is in Matthew chapter 2. The gospel writer tells us about King Herod. It's in connection with the wise men, those wise men who were connected to Jesus' earliest days. They're called wise men in the old King James translation, More recent translations call them the Magi. Matthew tells us that they came from the east, 
probably the northeast, probably from the country of Persia, today modern-day Iran. These Persian magi were considered wise. Part of their wisdom was obtained from studying the stars in the sky. Some of that study was scientific, but mostly these men were very superstitious. The Persians and their predecessors, the Babylonians, were the ones who came up with the twelve signs of the zodiac. They claimed to even be able to predict future events based on those signs of the zodiac. Back in the Old Testament, you might remember the man Daniel. Daniel was considered one of the magi in those days, one of the wise men. They, with Daniel, would interpret dreams, as Daniel actually did with the king. And like Daniel, magi often served as close advisors to kings and to rulers of those days. So Matthew tells us about these magi, that one day some of these magi, these wise men, showed up in Jerusalem. It was probably after some months of travel. Somehow, God had showed them that a king had been born in Judea. Some kind of special star, or some today imagine it could have been a comet, appeared in the night sky, giving them a sign. So naturally, they went to the palace of the king, the palace of King Herod. In the minds of those magi, it was likely that the current king of the Jews, Herod, maybe had a son, a son born to him. Ah, but we've noted how fearful King Herod was, how paranoid he was. He imagined that some of his sons had been plotting against him. So can you imagine then how Herod was thinking when those wise men came to him? Say, Herod, where is that king, that king of the Jews, the newborn king? All of Herod's fears would have been stirred up. What? Another king? Who could this one be? Have I missed someone? I simply have to find out. But Herod, of course, was also a shrewd politician. He didn't openly express his fear to the Magi. Rather, he privately consulted Jewish scholars. He wanted to learn from them if anything was found in the Jewish scriptures about a newborn king. And they reported back to him, quoting from the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So King Herod told the wise men, Go to Bethlehem and search for this child. Let me know when you found him. Then I also can go there and pay my respects. Matthew tells us, however, that Herod had other intentions, that when those wise men would tell him the location of that baby, He would send in his soldiers, and they would have that baby killed. Not only the baby, but probably that baby's entire family. That was how he had dealt with other competitors in the past. Matthew tells us that these wise men were warned by God, warned not to report back to Herod. Matthew tells us that God warned these men, these magi, in a dream, and how appropriate that was. As Persian magi, they were used to interpreting dreams. So these men got the message loud and clear. The Lord God also spoke to Joseph, the legal father of Jesus. God spoke to him in a dream, Matthew says. 
God warned Joseph about Herod's murderous plans. God told Joseph to take his wife and their child and escape to Egypt. Herod couldn't reach them in that faraway place. So Joseph, we read, immediately fled with his young family, and they all remained in Egypt until King Herod died. Now, how did Herod respond to this when he discovered the Magi wouldn't be telling him about the baby's location? Well, Matthew reports that he responded by giving a terrible military order, an order for his soldiers to kill every single baby boy in that whole area, not only in the town of Bethlehem itself, but also out in the countryside around Bethlehem. Now, this wasn't a slaughter of hundreds of babies. Bethlehem was a small town. Scholars estimate that perhaps 10 to 15 babies were killed. Of course, even just one murdered child is one too many. Matthew informs us of something else, that these murders at the hand of Herod had actually been predicted hundreds of years earlier, predicted by the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. And Matthew quotes that prophecy. It's found in Matthew 2, verse 18. Quote, A voice is heard in Ramah. Ramah, that's another name for the area of Bethlehem. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now you might remember Rachel. She was the wife of the patriarch Jacob. Thus, Rachel was the matriarch of Israel. Her body was buried there in Ramah. It's as if Rachel were weeping from her grave, weeping along with the mothers of Bethlehem and the area around it, weeping over all the little children cruelly executed by King Herod. Well, the stories surrounding Christmas aren't so cheery, are they? No, they're not. In fact, if you study them, most of the stories surrounding Jesus' birth are actually quite gloomy. Think about those stories. There's Mary, pregnant and without a husband, no doubt judged and condemned by her neighbors. Her fiancé Joseph, we read, is torn and even considers divorcing her. Caesar in Rome, by his decree, forces Joseph and pregnant Mary to move temporarily to Bethlehem. Imagine a pregnant woman close to her delivery date, having to walk from her hometown for 80 miles. Walking what, eight, nine, ten miles a day? Maybe riding on a donkey for part of the journey? But what a difficult journey it must have been. Then to top it off, when they arrive, there's no place to rent. They're forced to live in a stable. And in that place, unfit for humans, there the baby Jesus is born. An animal feed trough serves as his cradle, that so-called manger. And if that weren't enough, then we read the regional king, Herod, wants to kill that baby as the months go by. So Joseph and Mary, with their baby, have to become refugees, fleeing to a foreign land. You see, almost all the stories connected with Jesus' birth are quite gloomy and some of them are simply horrifying. But I think if we listen to these stories closely, we can be encouraged by our God. And we're encouraged in this way, 
that our God, the God of the Bible, not only knows our difficult earthly situation, he not only knows it as he observes it from a distance, but in Jesus, God is actually going with us on this earth. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in body form, God with us experiencing the sadness, the tragedy of so much of earthly life, God with us enduring even death and suffering. Jesus and his parents have to endure life under the decrees of the power-hungry Caesars. They have to endure life under Caesars occupying military forces. And now Jesus and his parents are suffering under men like King Herod. Jesus living with his parents in Egypt as refugees. They're living there with probably only the clothes on their backs and a few personal possessions. And in that foreign land as refugees, they surely experienced all the struggles of those who've lived in strange places places where people are speaking a different language and living in a different kind of culture. And none of them, think of it, none of them knew if they could go back home again. We know how the story continues, but they didn't know at the time. King Herod was at the peak of his power. Yet these stories from the earliest days of Jesus' life can actually help us. We can find some comfort in them. Because in Jesus, God is indeed going with us. God is with us in our lives. God is with us in life on earth. Life filled with all of its sorrow and sadness, all of its tragedies, all of its death and disease and killings. Years earlier, Isaiah the prophet predicted this about Jesus, that he would be a man of sorrows, that is, a man often sorrowing in the midst of his life. He would be, according to Isaiah, a man acquainted with grief, personally acquainted with grief, a grief of life on earth, the grief of unbelief, yes, but the grief of so little love and so much rejection and so much anger and hostility from his earliest days even. How tragic this life on earth. How tragic as we read the headlines about wars today, about people as refugees forced to flee, even at great risk, some of them not even making it to a place of safety. What a story for a day in which we live where there's so much abuse of power, where there's so much political power and economic power. Life is so unfair. There's a first lesson for us in this story that's related to King Herod. And it's simply this, that God is going with us through life in Jesus. Jesus personally experienced all the sadness of our life today. All the grief, all the unfairness of life, even from his earliest days. We know that Jesus knows. He's experienced all of it and more. And in that, by simple faith, we can be comforted. We can be encouraged as we're looking to him with trusting hearts. 
Well, let me mention one more thing, one more takeaway for us from Matthew chapter 2. And it's this, that no matter what happens, God will accomplish his plan. God has had this plan to send Jesus from eternity. And that plan ultimately is to save his people, to rescue us out of the messiness of our own ordinary lives, that we would become his people, a people who think and speak and live to his glory and to his praise. You see, King Herod's heart and his actions are not his alone. In some ways, his heart reflects something of our own hearts. His actions reflect something of our own actions. Oh, probably not to the extreme of King Herod. Herod lusted for power, and once he gained power, he protected that power ruthlessly. He protected it by eliminating the competition. He protected his power by playing politics with his superiors, currying their favor. Herod put on a good face to the visiting magi, pretending to be sincere, but he wasn't, not at all. He was two-faced, a complete hypocrite. Look, all of us, Yes, all of us, even the best of Christians at times, can fall into hypocrisy, being two-faced. Don't all of us at times seek to gain more power? I know I do. Can't we at times ruthlessly try to hold on to our power, our position, our prestige, whether that's at home or at work, whether it's at school, It's in our marriages, in our friendships. And at times we can all sound so spiritual even, as if we have the best of intentions. But inwardly and sometimes without our even being aware of it, we're thinking mostly of ourselves. Isn't it true that we all need to be rescued from ourselves, from the worst part of ourselves? We need to be set free from our hunger for power, and our desperation to hold on to power no matter what. We need to be set free from our hypocrisy, our trying to sound so good and moral, so spiritual even. So we look to Jesus. We look simply to Jesus. He's not only Emmanuel, God with us, but Jesus, his name, it means Savior. That is, Rescuer deliverer. You see, God's plan wasn't to have Jesus die as a baby in Bethlehem under the spear and sword of Herod's soldiers. Rather, God's plan was that Jesus would live to be an adult man, to live into his 30s, to purposely be living, and then to purposely die when the exact time was right, all according to God's timetable. Dying at that moment for our faults and our failures, our hypocrisy, our love for power and control, Jesus, we read, took all of that upon himself and he paid the price. He paid the death penalty. So that as the Bible says, by simply trusting in him, God sets us free from paying the price for our own sins, our own faults and failures. Jesus is indeed our rescuer. And after we're rescued by Jesus, then gradually we're restored by him to become a better kind of people, less demanding and more loving, 
less self-centered, worried about power and control, and more centered on other people and serving them and their needs and telling them, of course, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus going out into all the world. Indeed, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Thank you.